We invited Michael onto the show today to kind of nerd out about Final Cut Pro on the iPad, also Logic, but you know, I don't think we have much to say about Logic, but there you go. We just said it. It's it on the iPad. Exists. It's there. It's a thing. Um, but when it first came out, uh, Michael was the first person that I texted about it. I sent him the Apple like news article that morning that they announced it. I think I sent it maybe around 10 a.m., maybe 9 or 10 a.m., which was fairly early. Like A lot of people haven't heard of it yet. And then Michael responded with, oh, yeah, I just finished my video on it. I was like, oh, sick. <laughs> I, it, it was purely by fate that I literally saw the yeah. Apple Newsroom three minutes like after it was posted. Mm-hmm. And so like – and I was just at my computer and I'm just like, well, I have five other projects to work on today. But I guess we're doing this. Absolutely. those videos always do the uh, the best. So, Michael, why don't you tell us about it? Because like you said, you have a real kind of – love and fascination it seems with ipad editing tell me about final cut on ipad it looks very interesting i mean right now we obviously don't have a ton of stuff i think the most in-depth i've seen is i justine's video which i actually made a second video literally a day after the first one kind of reacting to hers and trying to look a little deeper into some of the the features it kind of seems like they are doing what they did when they went from Final Cut 7 to 10, where it's a very Apple fashion of like going, hey, here's kind of what we think is the base necessities. We're going to listen to everyone shouting at us about what features we didn't have. And then over, who knows, months or years, they'll add it in. But there is some very interesting features, I think, that that make it stand out um that make me even be like hmm i may end up creating some like round tripping workflow um it's the first app pro app to really utilize the apple pencil that i'm honestly that's the feature i'm most excited about being because like i can't do motion graphics like i i don't i'm not an expert at fusion i'm not an expert in motion or after effects or anything so the idea of being able to be like oh, I want to like draw an arrow and write something that points to like a camera I'm reviewing and just do that quickly with the iPad or with the pencil and then have that be good. It's great. But there are definitely some features that are missing that I think are like inexcusable and I'm I'm very mad at you, Apple. <laughs> what, what would you say are some of those features that you're disappointed aren't in there specifically? Uh, the biggest one I would say is the lack of external drive support. Um, again, the only source confirmation for that is I Justine, but she said that coming from Apple. And to me, I'm not a programmer, but if you're able to access the files app, you should be able to access anything else. And maybe I'm just getting hung up on the wording and maybe you'll be able to access the drive, but then you have to import it into the library. Cause again, it's been a while for me, but correct me if I'm wrong. Um, with the final cut libraries on computer, you've always had the choice where you can either import the footage into the library, like into the project, or you can leave it wherever it is on, on whatever drive. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like this is only giving you the option to import it into whatever yeah. Final Cut iPad library. But yeah. which, okay, is that step one of like, well, so that's... Number one, buy a two terabyte iPad, which is going to cost at the cheapest $1,800. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then, 
again, one of the big, one of the best things about Resolve for the iPad is the fact that I can seamlessly go back and forth between my computer. Final Cut on the iPad, you will be able to start a project on the iPad and then hit a send to Mac option, which I'm guessing converts it to that sort of Final Cut project file that a desktop will read, but you then cannot go back to the iPad. So as soon as you send that to the computer, that project is converted into whatever format that cannot be read by the iPad version. That almost feels like you would, if you had to pick, it almost feels like you would want that to be the opposite because you would theoretically, like let's say I started a project on my computer, but then for some reason I have to go somewhere, travel somewhere, fly on an airplane. I would want to be able to transfer it to an iPad, if anything, um, to like finish, like, oh, I got to just finish this project. Uh, I got a six hour flight. I'll finish it on the flight. I'll transfer it to my iPad. But that doesn't seem to be the case. That's kind of annoying. I think this is a bit of a uh, growing pain situation, too, because when uh, being a, a, an avid, no pun intended, Final Cut user. Mm. <laughs> that was a good one. Mm. I <laughs> I feel like you like how I just kind of. Yeah, that was, that was good. That was good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, being, you know, a, a Final Cut user, it's just, it is obvious to me that this new iPad version is, is very, it's very different. Uh, it looks visually different. There's a lot of changes and, and additions. So I, I just think they're two different apps in a lot of ways, it seems like. And that's why, like, uh, I was waiting for Apple to come after me because I think in my video, I said, I was like, this isn't Final Cut Pro. This is iMovie Plus. Um, because that's, doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> That's what everybody said about Final Cut when it came out. That's right. That's true. And I was working. I was working at Apple at that time, and I remember the pros coming in, being like, "This is dumb." Um, and and see, like, it's all about the positioning of it, right? Because if they came out and said, like, "Hey, we created an app for that's primarily for content creators," and because I mean, that's who they showed off in the promo videos. They did not show anyone who is making an award-winning commercial or movie. Like it was a couple content creators making fun videos, and the and like their and those uh, are the people. Fairly, those are the people who are going to use an iPad. You know, filmmakers aren't going to really be using iPads. Well, it's true for the most and, part. Yeah, it and and it goes back to that debate of like DaVinci Resolve on an iPad. Do you really need full DaVinci Resolve? And it's you know, that debate could go all the way because everyone has different workflows and things they like to do. Um, and so, like, I don't mind that it's not the full final cut uh, right off the bat. Obviously, I, I think the hardest part for me was that it just feels a little too late. If this app came out before Resolve for iPad came out a year ago or two years ago, everyone would just be like full standing ovation. Congrats, you made the first real pro video editing app for iPad. But now that LumaFusion's been updated so much, DaVinci Resolve is for the iPad. There's a lot of pro apps out there now. And so when you have a first party app that has a couple really cool standout features, and I could eat my words in what? seven days or something and i happily will eat my words if it's awesome uh but it just feels like it's not uh going to be on the same level as some of these other apps sure um so i mean let's just be honest i think the the market of the youtuber influencer up and coming whatever you want to call content creator of like the modern day that's a vastly larger faster growing you know, a group of people also who are not 
adverse to change and are willing to try something new and willing to experiment. And then you have all the old cynical filmmakers who are going to complain about stuff. And let's just say, hypothetically, Apple does everything the filmmakers complain about and they make it essentially a clone of Avid or Premiere, which is what they're going to want. Are they going to use it? No, they're not going to use it. (laughs) So like... I think they're making a wise marketing decision to basically cap cut has really taken over the world right now. And, you know, resolve is kind of got their foot in more of that pro market. I think this is a great app. It, it looks, yes, I agree with you. It's miss. I wish I could round trip back and forth, but you know, I, th- I feel like the people who are primarily going to use it on the iPad will never even you know, they don't even own a laptop, maybe that maybe all they own is an iPad. So that that doesn't matter to them. But then for me as a pro, yeah, maybe I'll start my rough edit and iPad and then port it over. But, um, but I do wish I could then bring it back and then draw on it at the, you know, just like it does feel just like a, like a, it's, it's not necessarily that the app is bad. It's just a misnaming. Like if they just called it anything else, yeah, then it wouldn't have been a problem, but they called it Final Cut for the which iPad. Is, yeah, which is why I, I talk at it with the the level of um, kind of a concern or, or whatever. Disappointment. Or because, <laughs> yeah. Now, and, and again, and I think you said this uh, a couple of minutes ago, Connor, um, or and some people have mentioned it, that the fact that they kind of release this out of the blue now and it will come out before WWDC mm-hmm kind of could potentially show proof that we're in for a very impactful WWDC and yeah. could we see a Final Cut 11 or at least huge Final Cut 10 update and if they if they come out with oh sure you can't round trip your entire project but if you're working on a on this new Final Cut desktop thing but then you want to add a motion graphic and you can just quickly create something on your iPad and then shoot it over to the computer and have that kind of send, then I think that solves a lot of the the complaints, yeah. at least or, from my end. But what do be, you guys think? If there was like a, um, an accompany, like maybe this is, yeah, I mean, actually, technically, Connor, you did point out, like they did rename it. It's called Final Cut Pro for iPad. Well, so like, okay, that's... Uh, sure. I went to their website and it's just front and center final cut pro for iPad. Like that's the name of the app. So, I mean, it is different. Yeah. Uh, I, just I don't like think the, that's different. That's just, I mean, that's saying what it's for, but it that's, it's still saying well, final cut pro. I, the iPhone, yeah. the iPhone pro has had the name pro in it for several years. What's actually pro about it? It's very it's Apple to nothing. call it pro and it, not well, and that. I, I, I got to point out too that um, my my favorite thing, and I sp- say this as a previous Final Cut person, Final Cut people such as yourself, David, are <laughs> always sound like in you're in an abusive relationship that you're constantly giving like excuses, like no, no, no. They said they're gonna love me soon. <laughs> yeah, soon enough they will love me, and like it's true. Like it took how many years for them to add like multicam and like the proper codec support no i'm i'm constantly in a state of uh of of being an apologist apologist you know i'm always apologizing for it 
I remember having a really heated debate. I was a freelancer for a project and I was talking about how I use Final Cut and we were just in a car driving back from the shoot and it was the other video guys. And the other guy was like, there's nothing pro about Final Cut. I was like, how dare you say that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, you can't just say that. And he's like, there's nothing pro about that. I was like, so, and then it got into a whole philosophical debate. It's like, if I made a movie that got made money with iMovie, are you saying that iMovie is or isn't pro? If I make, if I got paid to do a project and that's what I used anyways, but uh, I'm not here to debate final cut, but um, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, but it is true. I talked to people about that too, when it's kind of interesting because like movies aren't using the flashy effects, right? Like if you really boil it down to like what a pro editing application really needs is you need codec support for whatever footage you're importing. And then do you have the cut tool? Like, <laughs> I mean, really like, That's it. you know, you're not going to make a, a Marvel film out of that, but like, are you, can you splice together yeah. clips? Like, you know, I think the biggest thing that is that Avid has just had on lock for forever in Hollywood is the ability to collaborate with every department. You know, that's kind of the whole thing is when you're talking about a hundred movie, hundred million dollar movie, you want everything to like seamlessly be transferable to different departments mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so I think that's one of the main key ingredients to uh, it's like apps yeah, like freedom Adobe of workflow and, yeah uh, avid that's why but, i stick with adobe as much as it pains me to say <laughs> what? because you're working on hundred yeah million i just got hundred million dollar movies and, and you I'm have to on. that's true i just realized we have all three people here yeah. don't we like yeah <laughs> hey, now, we're very diverse is, all white guys but diverse in our uh <laughs> in our, in our nle's <laughs> <laughs> but well, not, I do want to but not diverse you. in mac or pc because i mean no. come on we're not I hooligans. pc yeah, but you play games on it. You don't I edit on it. Opened Premiere once or twice. <laughs> but you've used LumaFusion quite a bit. You've done videos on Resolve with the iPad. You've really done a lot of work on the iPad. First of all, I'm not going to try to sit here and be like, I make all my content on iPads and phone. Like, I'm not going to yeah. certainly be that guy. Most of my content is still made on the Mac Pro or, or a desktop. But I would as hope I so, said, being that you have one. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like half, I've always had a love for the iPad ever since the original, because like I had an IEP in school and like, I suck at like writing on paper. I'm a lefty. So I smear everything. So like, I'm a lefty as well. Yay. So when the first iPad came out, I got it like immediately. And like I, my book bag was emptied of all like paper and books and everything. And since that first iPad, I've always had one and they've always, it's always felt like the coolest tool for me. And up, you know, a handful of years ago, especially when the M chip started coming out and everyone really started being like, the hardware upgrades on these things have been a waste because there's been no pro apps. Like LumaFusion really was the only one. And it was definitely the best at the time. It's still a great contender. Um, but it, it, wasn't something where it's like, oh, I could work on the same projects that I was using on my computer. You know, you, um, they have a little bit of XML support, I guess. But um, so when Resolve came out 
in December, that's really when I started going like, oh, like I can just travel with my iPad and open projects and start them or work on them and then kind of use it in tandem with a, a, a real computer, so to speak. And uh, especially when um, Daniel Kovacs was the uh, a follower who actually sent me the video, he found the hack for unlocking all of DaVinci Resolve for the iPad. I thought he was like spamming me. Tell like, me about tell me about that because I don't even I'm unfamiliar with that hack. I've heard about it. Oh, cool. So yeah, so the if you went to the App Store on the iPad and downloaded DaVinci Resolve, you would get the cut page and the color page. Those are the two. There's seven pages in Resolve that it's basically like seven programs in one. And the two that they released for the iPad was cut and color. And they were the full pages that you would get on the computer. It was amazing already in the announcement. Um, and then one day I wake up and like at 6 a.m., this uh, one of my followers messages me and he's like, hey, I figured out how to get all of the pages, basically unlocking the full desktop program on the iPad version. And I click on this video that he sends me. It's like some like cell phone video that's one minute long. And I'm like, this is about to be like fake or like not really what it is. And it's kind of the most ingenious, simple hack ever where they essentially ported over the entire program and then hid five out of the seven pages. And so he was searching for keyboard shortcuts. So he used on an iPad keyboard, was it option command K, which brings up the shortcut menu. And then he found like you, you go into the shortcuts. There's a shortcut called show page. And you basically just create your own shortcut for each of the pages. So I do like shift one, two, three, four, and so on. So now when I open up Resolve for the iPad, I just hit shift three and it opens up uh, the edit, the full edit page from the desktop version. <laughs> so wow. what would, why, why would they do that? Are they just, were there plans to like release it as DLC? Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know what their original plan was. Uh, I know that they were not too happy about all of us making all this content, showing everyone. Because just like everything, every other beta or hack, uh, I think the initial goal was to release cut in color because they were optimized for a touch experience. Um, those are the most simplistic things. All the tools were, you know, tested and working on an iPad. So I think they just hadn't gone through all the other pages. I'm sure they ported the whole thing over knowing they would eventually release the full version. Um, but they probably wanted to take a year or two to kind of test the markets and see what features. But I give a ton of credit to Blackmagic because after everything came out and we were all super excited, everyone was scared every couple of weeks when they would come out with an update because it's like, are they going to turn off this hack? And they haven't, and I believe in recent weeks they've come out and said, like, we have no plans to, like, cut you off from using this. So, like, yeah, if you download it and you don't know about the hack, you're just going to see cut and color. But if you know about the keyboard thing, you can go in. Um, and considering the program's free, you can buy the studio version on the iPad for 99 one-time fee. Um it's just it's been killer, and Blackmagic Cloud syncs all the projects, so it's 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 not it's the first time that like using an iPad to edit is like a feasible thing. A lot of people still find it like silly and weird, and 
it's really become no different than working on a 13-inch laptop, which, yeah. again, you may not want to edit a feature film. That's not going to be a very comfortable experience, um, but, but you like more or less have... Exactly. For airplanes and stuff, it's it's awesome. Well, and we now, uh, you know, Apple finally has enabled, you know, mouse support. So you could just use uh, an Apple Magic Mouse if you really wanted to. Or, of course, the Magic Keyboard, which has the trackpad uh, built into it. So that was always a big issue for me with editing on iPads. Because if you're, if you're reaching your hand out and touching something, your arm is just going to get tired. Like... It's just more natural to have your hands rested on a table with a keyboard and mouse, obviously, if you're editing for eight hours. So that changed that workflow. And then now, too, they have you know proper support with monitors. So you can actually plug in your iPad into an Apple display. Am I, am I right about that, Michael? Like, Is it closer you, now? With yes. IPad? So there is a clean feed feature. The the one the the hack that I was trying to do the a uh, number of weeks ago was to find the keyboard shortcut for dual monitor support, um, and that unfortunately doesn't work. You can long press on your viewer and send a clean feed to another monitor. Um, if you have the studio version, you can't do that on the free one. So that's the only kind of dual monitor support. Um, but I was to add to your point, uh, yes, for editing, especially if you're trying to use the touchscreen, probably isn't the best experience. But what I will tell you is I have loved doing like a big edit on my computer. And then when it goes time to color grade, pull out the iPad because one, using the Apple Pencil with like the color wheels, I don't know, it just feels like a fun experience or even your uh, fingers because it, it's it's almost like a hybrid between having, if you don't have um, one of like the color panels, um, obviously you don't have the tactile feel, but it's still different than using a mouse and keyboard. And the latest iPad Pros have the same like XDR quality as Apple's $6,000 monitor just on a smaller form factor. So you actually get a hyper like color accurate monitor uh, for color grading on the iPad compared to what most people are, you know, maybe using for their computers. And I think one of the biggest uh, oversights I think from Apple too is the lack of cellular data in a laptop. I think it's yes. so valuable having LTE or now, you know, 5G built into the iPad. So, you know, for the workflow where, you know, Connor, like you and I, or Michael too, but like NAB type coverage in the past for us, you know, if you're doing a big edit and you want to get something out quick, like you could now import it into the iPad, edit it, and then upload on the same device without connecting to any internet. And oftentimes 5G ultra wideband is actually faster than a lot of Wi-Fi. Yeah, so, well, especially at convention um, centers. And also normally you have to pay for Wi-Fi at a convention center or yeah. find a company that's yeah, willing to share it. If you go to a coffee shop, you have to like do all the terms and conditions. And mm -hmm. then am I on someone's random hacking thing? Like, yeah. Having yeah. cellular in there is so much. It's such a good point. Yeah. But, uh, Connor, I think I, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to ask. So, Michael, are you color grading your videos in the DaVinci app on your iPad? Or do you still use your desktop? Or is it just kind of whatever you're feeling at the time? Definitely a mix. Um, yeah. If I'm, if I'm like comfortable at my computer, then I'll probably just stay there and do that. Because, I mean, my, my, 
clean monitor is is decently color accurate but if i if it's like my turn to watch the kids and i or i want to go like chill on the couch um while still having a project open because it's nice when you like it's it's annoying like we all know when you're cutting dialogue you have to be hyper focused and you can't have anything else but when you're like color grading man you can have music playing you can be like watching something so like you we can get just, a little taste of what photographers feel like every day yes exactly and so sometimes it's nice to because i don't have like a proper laptop again this laptop's is michelle's technically um so it's nice to be able to get out of the chair so i'm i'm still final cut i'm a happy final cut user actually i'm i'm not bitter about anything uh although watching resolve getting better and better makes me a little jealous but also this new release on ipad is promising it makes me think potentially they've got something in store for a new uh, desktop update because there's a lot of features in this ipad version that don't exist yet on the full desktop that i would assume are going to carry over at some point. Uh, I do want to ask, though, especially as a Final Cut purist such as yourself, uh, <laughs> probably the most commented thing uh, that everyone was outraged about was how do you feel about Final Cut's going subscription model? Yeah, I'm. It's it's a fair price. I mean, it's not welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think five dollars a month compared to Adobe's fifty dollars a month is it's not even really something you should even really think about too much. Um, And the thing that's cool about that too, is for people who even the traditional $300 for me as a pro buying final cut 11 years ago, when it came out for $300 has paid itself over hundreds of times at this point, (laughs) but to your standard, you know, person who's just like, Hey, I need to edit a video this, this month, or I'd like to maybe give this thing a try. Um, or maybe you get hired on for a job that happens to use Final Cut or whatever. The fact that you can just kind of be like, hey, I'll just subscribe for two or three months and then unsubscribe when I'm done. Um, that's a cool idea. And then I would hope that the fact that there is ongoing revenue coming from this would help the idea of like, hey, we should keep this thing up to date and actually actively support it, just like how Resolve has been uh, growing year over year over year over year. There's just so many engineers focused on Resolve right now at Blackmagic, and they keep making it better and better every single year. I would love to get that type of attention and uh, focus from Apple. I mean, so 100%. Five, yeah. Five bucks a month really isn't that bad at all. I mean, I think you'd have to use the $50 a year. Yeah, you have to use the application. And if you for go with the yearly, years. I think you get one or two months free. Nice. Yeah. But you'd have yeah. to use it for five years to reach that three hundred bucks. So, you know, yeah, that's when you say it like that. That that is a, a fair point, and I I think I mostly align with your opinion on. Um, to me, I have zero problem with subscriptions if it means that there is uh, consistent updates and and new features and stuff like that. And so, if this is what Apple needs to decide if they're going to kill off their final cut staff down <laughs> from, you know, a hundred people down to one poor programmer who yeah. comes out the feature every like, yeah, it, it's, I, do you think that, uh, this is kind of a testing ground though for like a new desktop version? And then will that desktop version become subscription as well? Cause that sure is going to be five bucks a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think this is maybe just a separate iPad thing. I I feel like they would piss off a lot of pros if 
they completely change Final Cut on that would be the final piss you off, but everyone would look how many Adobe people like everyone's pissed off, but (laughs) you still we all still pay Adobe every month. Adobe's a hostile situation. I do, but I feel like if um, let's just pretend world here, like if Adobe was pay still like three hundred bucks, and I paid it eleven years ago, and then this year they were like, actually, it's going to be fifty bucks a month, right? I think that's like in in this ecosystem that we're in with NLEs. I think that would be like okay. I'm I am gonna switch to DaVinci. See ya. You know, like, and I feel <laughs> yeah. like Final Cut would be the same way. Like Dave, if they just were suddenly like, actually, you owe us fifty bucks a month to use the same thing you've been using. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I I, I would. Well, just well Ado- Adobe doesn't charge fifty dollars a month for one app. They charge fifty dollars for the a month suite for all the apps that I don't need. But ten dollars for Adobe Photoshop and Lightroom, which I do subscribe to. That's the only thing I subscribe to. Ten dollars a month, and it's like I don't need all the other crap. I just need Premiere they should and After Effects. Twenty dollar a month when, and they should just call it like the Video Creator Package or like the online did. Creator Package. Have they, they, they do. do you can do one off. So if I wanted just Premiere, Premier. it's it's twenty nine dollars, which is crazy. But I also need I need After Effects and I need Photoshop. Now I've now I've and surpassed fifty. Yeah, I've, but yeah, for any Adobe, because I've I, as much as I poo poo on Adobe, I still have always paid because I want to stay up to date and and I use some of the apps. But uh, every year I just go in and uh, hit the cancel subscription and then about three pages in you just say too expensive and then they'll give you half off for the year so oh. if you want to save 50 percent of the bill well, just do it <laughs> every year connor i, I sent that. you a text i sent you a text about that connor yeah listen you tell me about a lot of things that i should do and i go that's a great idea and then it goes <laughs> but the the other thing that i feel bad for adobe is don't feel well, bad for adobe they have rate they're but, They've made so much money after the subscription thing. It's it's unbelievable. They have, but they almost have. There, uh, someone explained to me a couple of years ago that they basically have Microsoft's issue because Blackmagic and Apple, they honestly could give their NLAs away for free because they're making bank on hardware because they're primarily both hardware companies. Adobe is just a software company. They don't really have any hardware to sell, so. Unless they start making some major merch sales or something like they, they almost have to offset their their costs that way. Because I mean, Black Magic they essentially give Resolve away for free. Because like you buy any of their products, here's a studio license. Like that's true. That's true. I do think though, it's like uh, Adobe's actually doing a few more things lately, which have been kind of cool. Um, so that's been great. But it does feel like, man, if you're going to be the most expensive option, shouldn't you be at least pretty dang close to like as fast or just as efficient or you would want like and honestly like i use i I was editing in adobe premiere today and it's fine like i'm really not running into any issues too too much although i'm on a really great macbook but as soon as you get into like the your computer's slightly older phase like you know like people starting out people who are starting out on adobe because that's what colleges still use and they're using their crappy you know, five-year-old MacBook, and it it just can't do it. Um, so that's really where it's sad. It's like it'd be nice if it was more optimized for people to get started. And you think they'd want that too, because it's like, oh, I like this. They're starting out with it in college, anyways. And if it was good from the start on their older computer, then they're more likely to use it in the future. But instead, they're going to DaVinci, which totally makes sense um, because it's just a more efficient, cheaper, cheaper because it's free uh, software. <laughs> 
So for um, just for reference, in 2012, their yearly revenue was $4 billion. And now they are up to $18 billion a year. Yeah, they're a small company, you know, so startup. Small time. They've um, dramatically, in fact, I think in the stock market, they're, um, they're ranked as one of the most successful subscription-based models in history of American business. So they have gone from really kind of a niche market to now like a very large company in terms of yearly revenue. Um, and it's just because of this dag. Yeah, you're, you're not making me feel bad for using that uh, half off uh, subscription little hack thing. <laughs> yeah. But to me, I agree with Connor. It's like because of that amount of revenue that we're talking about, I feel like there's no excuse. In fact, I would say that you would think that Adobe would have the best apps on the entire market because of that reason. They kind of do with certain things, but just when it comes to Premiere. With Photoshop, Photoshop is clearly their... Um, yeah. I feel like Photoshop is has In always been... Like when you, After Effects is pretty After up there Effects, too. Yeah, so like they do yeah, it, have software that's amazing. It's just specifically their video editing one that seems to suffer somewhat substantially. Well, and I really thought it was going to, I thought Premiere was going to have its day for longer than it did this year when they released all the, like the AI editing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like two weeks later, Resolve came out with the same thing. Um, I've heard that that was a reactionary release because the Resolve one isn't supposedly complete or that amazing yet, but they were just like, here it is. And then they'll fix it because Blackmagic, they're on that. So they'll fix it quick, but they didn't, you're right. They didn't want, Adobe to have their day. They were just like, oh, no. Uh, yeah, that's no one cares we can about do that. that. Too. Look at that. Yeah. Here it is. <laughs> Someone just buy this chat GPT plugin and we could do stuff. I don't yeah. know. Uh, and, uh, and Connor, I don't know if you knew this too about the Final Cut for iPad app, but they now have the audio mix down feature that we've seen in an Audition and Premiere now. So oh, they're great. doing the same thing where you can just drag a music track and extend it out to be longer or shorter. And it uses AI to kind of that. blend yeah. it all together. So that's so, in the iPad app? Yeah, just the iPad app. But I would imagine it'll come later. That has to later. come to Final Cut. But regular. am I wrong? Because I love that feature too. And in Premiere, doesn't that work with anything? Does that work with any Song. soundtrack you put on yeah, it? Yeah, it's awesome. I mm -hmm. use it all the time. Me too. So I've I seen that and it looks great. I believe if you watch I Justine's, maybe again, maybe I'm wrong, but I think for the uh, Final Cut for the iPad, it's only their library that it will do that with. Oh, interesting. No, I that would no. I I believe be uh, if I'm misremembering, believe it's everything. If I'm misremembering it, I believe what she said was something along the lines of you can bring in your song and do this, and you can also use the library. Okay, because you know? mm. I remember I remember well, vividly sweet. her saying, "There's a great library." I think it was kind of like. And they've also uh, beefed up their music library, which okay. is really good, and you can use that as well. You know, kind yeah. Of. Okay, cool. Yeah, that that feature is absolutely a, a game changer on on both. I remember seeing that in Premiere and being like, mm -hmm. "Damn, that's that's really cool." And like you said, I mean, everyone's been obsessed with the what's the like beta app that will like completely like voice isolation to Adobe perfection. Podcast. Yeah, but yeah. like they haven't built that Apple in has a, no, to Apple Premiere, has a, right? 
<laughs> no, not it's not. It's its own separate thing for now. But Apple has a really good voice isolation it, yeah. now in Final Cut. It's been there for a while. They kind of just put it in there, um, I think, last year. Yeah. yeah. Vo- it's called voice isolation. It's great. They didn't really even announce it or make a big fuss about it. And I just kind of found it off in my info tab one time. I was like, what's this? And I tried it, and it actually works pretty well. Seems um, all three have a pretty... Yeah, because I think Resolve added theirs around the same time. It was later last year. That um, I think we're, that music I think we're, remix thing was in audition forever. It, it's, oh yeah. really? Oh yeah, I used it for like years before. Um, I would just yeah, I would transfer it over into audition, drag out the song to however long I would need it to be. I just in and out point to see like, oh, I need the song to be four minutes long, I love and then that. I would drag it over in audition and then punch it back over into premiere, which was great. But then now that it's in there, in there, so that's what's going to happen with the podcast thing too. It'll it'll jump in. Yeah. See, how cool would it be if, and I know it would become just a carbon copy of, of Resolve, but like, I think that would be awesome if, cause like Adobe has the, what's it called when you like, uh, you click a button and like on a clip and it will open After Effects for you to work on it. Oh, yeah. Dynamic uh, link or yeah, whatever. Which is what I was using for, um, Audition, cause I would just command save it, in Audition and it would punch it to Premiere. I, that's, that was awesome. Which for like when that first came out, that was like industry game changing, right? Like one button to change programs and it like switches everything. And then like, again, I know I'm biased as a resolve person, but it's like everything is built into one program. So like how cool would it be to like have your editing page and then like have audition just be a different tab, but not have to load like and your computers then like your fans are spinning up because you have like After Effects, Premiere, Audition, like you have like five heavy duty intensive apps open and i think that's why i don't think they can do that i just don't well i was gonna say like the the coder type people i've talked to are like if they want to get on the same level of optimization they literally have to rebuild the code from the ground up yeah i did hear from some adobe guy i can't remember when but it was like basically they're paying the price of their legacy code because they are too afraid to change things because they're like <laughs> they're like if we mess with this we're like ah, what, what will happen or you know so it's, it's too People's much feature film projects will be messed up yeah something. so it's yeah. like it's it's too so that's why they did that whole adobe rush thing that random thing that no one cares about um because i think they were attempting to like new code like this is just brand new here this and then it just no one cared because yeah, uh, it was video on resolve versus LumaFusion versus uh rush yeah. and i did like the same tasks and all and it was hilarious how little you can do on rush <laughs> yeah yeah um i don't know well what's what's really exciting though obviously is the kind of ai stuff that i think is just uh, over the horizon um i've discovered a new app called gling g-l-i-n-g it's completely free uh, to download right now, which makes me think that they're uploading all of your videos to the Chinese servers and selling off your data to um, some sort of communist uh, system. But other than that, <laughs> it's kind of insane. Like you can import your, it's designed specifically for uh, the creator of this uh, has like a struggling YouTube career apparently. And he is like an engineer or developer. And he was like, one of the hardest things, most annoying things of being a YouTuber is shooting your A-roll and like having to cut through, you know, as you guys know, it's like you, if you're reading a teleprompter, even if you're reading a teleprompter or you're just making things up off the top of your head or you have bullet points, you end up repeating yourself over and over. Today we're talking about, today we're talking about the new, ah, dang. 
Today we're talking about the new Lumix S5 Mark III. I mean, Lumix S5 Mark II. You know, that whole thing that I just did, that's a real life. You guys probably have a little PTSD as I did that, right? Yeah, just like 100%. Um, <laughs> and so the AI is able to uh, basically transcribe your whole edit, your, your whole take, and then it's able to look at the transcription and see, oh, this last take is always usually the best one. But even if it's not, it's, it uses AI to determine which take is the best and actually cuts out all of those mistakes. And then, and then the cool thing is too, it also automatically takes out any just long pauses. And then you can XML it to Final Cut, Premiere, or Resolve. So it's completely unbiased. You can choose whatever app you want. But one of the coolest things is with Final Cut and Resolve, you can export it out as a multicam. So it comes in edited down as a multicam, but then you can click into the multicam and there's your nested multicam file that you can then sync audio to. You could sync other angles to it. Or in my case, I've synced like a a 200% zoom in shot. So that way I can go back to the timeline. I've got all my cuts, cut out all my repeated phrases and all the gaps. And then I just edit using multicam my like my punch in shot which i is just a duplicate of my a roll shot zoomed into 200 percent um so anyways all that to say that's just one example there's this great uh plugin that i'm sure you've seen michael that people have been kind of talking about over the last couple weeks that does podcast editing in adobe premiere yeah uh yeah i started uh yeah autopod or something like that on twitter i really want to use that we're getting very close to uh the the edit button that all of us have always joked about like oh clients just think there's an edit button we're getting scarily close to that obviously i i i'm excited about ai stuff i know it seems like we're really starting to see the optimist versus pessimist with all this i'm a pessimist um, i don't like it <laughs> i do not like it I, anything I think to at the speed end of the day up, like it's I'm just going to to exactly like speed up the mundane tasks and give us more freedoms for the um the the actual creative honestly it's just made things hard like i i went through a period of being a pessimist about it but then i honestly think it just pushes people to be more creative because like when i started on youtube really if you had if you created depth of field you were going to perform well because your stuff looked cinematic. But now, like, everyone's got a good camera. Everyone can do that. Everyone can create nice shots. But, like, can you develop a story and, like, create excitement and, like, all that? So I, I think all these tools are just going to, like, make the make it harder to stand out, which in a way sucks. But at the same time, it's going to push people to be more creative. Yeah, I think it still takes a creative brain to know what to select and what to do. I mean, I think AI may get to a point where it can do storytelling, but it's just always going to have, I would imagine, it's always going to have kind of a, an emptiness or a coldness to it, although I'm sure it will continue to develop and have more heart and passion. But there's just something to the human creation. And I think even just like film versus digital, when we're talking about photography or filmmaking, there might even be like, I'm talking maybe 10 or 20 years down the line here, but there may be a niche 
of creators that are like, I do all my work by hand. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? You are so we're all right. going to be painters in 20 years because like, that's yeah. the only way to verify that we actually did it. I splice my film together. Yeah, I was going to say, we're all going to go back to scissors and yeah. <laughs> literally cutting the it. Process. I bought yeah a YouTube title 20 years from now. I bought a computer from the 2010s to edit on Final Cut Pro or to edit in Adobe Premiere, you know, uh, original. And even yeah, that, that's great. Final Cut for iPad. Oh no, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I I I'm in the camp of like, dude, like let robots do stuff that like humans it's dangerous or whatever. I don't care, you know, like have have robots do that great stuff, whatever. Stay away I just, from creativity. Stay away from creativity. I mean, you like, think, dude, it's the you last think thing. Multicam editing and cutting out your repeat takes is creative. That's the most mind-numbing, worst part of it. But I, I find, um, I like finding the mistakes and like something that an AI would deem as an error. And then it would cut it out. Sometimes that stuff can be used and can be useful. And like all of that um, uniqueness or creative um, workflow would just be lost if you had an AI find no, only the most lossless. perfect. It's still in the multicam. You can view it. You can. You go, would you have to pull it, it out. You pull it back in. But it, I mean, like, but the chances are, chances are, if I hit the edit button and it just pooped me out a, an optimized perfect thing, I would just be like, oh, sick, and then I'd move on, right? But if I'm having yeah. to actually sift through it myself, and that's when you find those moments, or like, you know, you say something wrong, and then you're like, oh, actually, I can make a joke out of this. I feel like it's gonna make content more sterile. That's well, what if? That's my opinion. Well, Okay, fair enough. Let's say you hit the edit button and then you go ahead and watch the full lossless file at 2x speed or, or in real time. And you just make notes on like, okay, I actually do love this. I love this. I love this. Now you've got 80% of your edit done with a robot and then you pull out those other 10, 20%. You've just saved three hours. How is that not a good thing? It's just not I, how it's going to happen. I, I was going to say, I think it comes Maybe down to, it almost sounds like, passion thing right because like it's the same like i like shooting more than editing so like i actually hate editing i like color grading so any tool for me that's going to speed up editing that gives me a still pretty good product is great because i have zero passion to like scrub through and find like all the little moments like i i would prefer even though someone your channel else. is all about editing Mike. oh it's uh, yeah I literally, <laughs> it's actually like, a good point yeah i don't hide from it but like i literally like i want to make a course one day or something about like like how to edit efficiently because you hate editing. Like mm -hmm. I lean into it hard, like, cause I'm not a perfectionist. I don't take like months to release something or something because like, I hey. just like, Hey, hey. months. I didn't More mean for that. Almost a, a year. Jab. Almost a year. Hey, get it right. It's been a year since I shot. That. I was going to say Dave's shooting for years now. <laughs> it's going to be a feature by the yeah. time. Um, but like if, if, you know, if the Boston dynamic robot tomorrow, uh, all of a sudden had a camera in its hand, it's like, okay, we don't need anyone to film anything anymore. Then I'd be talking like Connor and I'd be like, no, 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 no. Yeah. That's not good. Cause then like, you'd be like, that's you really, my, yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. Then was, well, you don't really need someone to hold the camera for you. You just have the robot do it. It's practically the same. Yeah, it's not and, the same. And, and see, it, it, see, it, it I triggers our passion. That. Awesome. You'd make content out of it, but then at a certain point, it, again, it's like content becomes sterile because it's all an algorithm and it's all yeah. the same. And also, robots cannot create something; they can only pull from what not exists yet. and then poop out a collaboration of those things. But like humans, still hey, for now, that's what we do. That's all of our creative ideas. I mean, it's it's way more complex, but there will be a day well, yeah. that that like because 
you know, you're, when you're I right. think of a creative image, it's only because I've taken in years and years of watching movies mm. and seeing other people's work. So like, it's not the same right now, but you're, you're, like to, you're correct. That's I do point. like to think that there's something different about a human because we have a soul and we have, you know, real emotions, but you're right. I mean, those still can be simulated. We're all just maybe. in a simulation. Yeah. <laughs> Elon, Elon, was. Elon was right. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I like but to it think is that fascinating. I like to think that there's something to that. I mean, look at some of the greatest films of all time. Look at some of the best directors and, and writers. And, uh, you know, I obviously like I'm thinking about Wes Anderson and how stylized and almost perfect all of his movies are with his style. And it's like a robot is going to just input all of the Wes Anderson stuff and then just spit out something exactly like it. But it's what we're seeing in the TikTok trend of Wes I know, Anderson, right? right? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he's so easily uh, replicable. But I listened to an interview with Take him. That Wes. <laughs> that felt like such well, a... it's just because there's such a look to it, you know. No, yeah, yeah. yeah but I course. heard an interview with him uh, recently. It just popped up on my home feed. It was like a video essay, and they pulled interviews from him. And somebody asked him about the style thing, and he's like, honestly, like people t- ask me that all the time. He's like, I don't really know how to do anything else. Like I'm just <laughs> really obsessed with uh, with framing and with center. You know, center symmetry. framing and symmetry. And he's like, I wouldn't be able to make another movie. He's like, Are you ever going to change your style? It's like, I, I. This is just the only way I know how to make movies. So, you know, it's like. And then there was a little interview with his DP, who's done like six of his films, and he said, I've worked with Wes long enough now to where I walk into a room and I look at the camera and I ask the AC, Is it center to the? <laughs> is it center to the the corners of the room? And they literally take tape measures. And like stick it on the camera and drag it all the way to the corner of each room to make sure it's perfectly square to the wall in the room. And he said, sure enough, without fail, every time Wes walks into the set, his first question is, is the camera square to the wall? If only (laughs) the wall was square itself. Come on, Wes. Walls are never walls are never square. That's why Never. they build sets for all of Wes Anderson's movies. Those are not real walls; they're sets. Yeah, they're probably like super painstakingly made because it's oh, it's really hard to someone make. Someone got their square. protractor out. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but, it is funny. Um, I, I'd like to transition. I think we talked about Final Cut on iPad quite a well, bit. Actually, I am excited. Can yeah, I make ahead. one more point about Final Cut just to bring a little optimism to that app? Do you guys think, because you're saying like you can't port it to um, Final Cut iPad, for iPad, Final Cut for iPad, uh, you can't go from computer to iPad. Do you think that's just a current version thing? Do you think if they do make a new version of Final Cut Pro 11 or whatever, it's like you can't do it now because it's X, but then when 11 comes out in a year or less or whatever, um, sure. that will become a feature that's just... Oh, yeah. So they just, they're just they just saying you can't do it now, but whenever because they announce the, it, they'll it'll the be like The app is coming out in a couple of days, right, Michael? The 23rd, yeah. And uh, WWDC isn't for another June month. 5th. Well, I mean, it's coming up. So we may see a big... Yeah, I think you're right, Connor. It might it might come. We don't have word from Maybe. them that it won't. Like I don't think right? it would be a couple weeks later that we could start round tripping, but I think Connor's right. That's very Apple fashion to be like, we're saving that for next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, USB C on an iPhone, it will come. It'll come. Yeah, <laughs> that's more like saving that for next century. 
Yeah, right. No, it's uh, USB-C for iPhone Pro is this year. No, I know. It just we've been saying that for years, and it's finally happening. <laughs> it wasn't until like the European law kind yeah. of forced their hand. Literally, but, the UK yeah, was like, but, it has to happen. And they're like, Fine. yeah, that was a weird yeah. headline, but yeah. it was interesting. Well, I mean, I think honestly, I wanted to ask you about this, Michael, because not only have you done a lot of content on Resolve and editing and stuff, but you've also done a lot of great content on iPhones. In fact, I think that was one of the main topics that we discussed on our podcast, along with Blackmagic uh, cameras and stuff. But I mean, what are your thoughts on the current state of mobile uh, filmmaking? Sony, uh, the CEO of Sony famously said that in 2024, the technology for cameras and at least Sony mobile phones will be equal to or greater than their mirrorless lineup. I don't know what that means. I would assume he's talking about the chipset and at least the uh, technology, not necessarily the sensors. And of of course the fact that you can take lenses on and off. I was going to say, I mean, when you say the tech is already technically better than mirrorless, it's just the quality isn't better. And the, I don't know if you, I don't know if you looked, Michael, at this new Sony Xperia One V that just came out last week. But I'm really interested in that. Um, they're really doing Sony in particular is really doing something unique with mobile filmmaking and photography. Basically, putting the whole UI and the same autofocus and everything in a phone as their alpha lineup, which is really cool. But I mean, do you have any thoughts on mobile filmmaking? Yeah, so first of all, Sony, please contact me. Um, <laughs> but no, I I believe I did a video on the first version of that. It was always named weird because, yeah, it was like the Sony Xperia 1 V something. Um, and so I think I did the first or second version of that. And absolutely, it is the greatest pro video user interface on a phone. Um, they did a fantastic job porting it over, but still keeping it like phone touchscreen friendly. Um, sadly, at least at the time, it wasn't the best camera phone quality that was out at the time, but it definitely had more uh, cinematic yeah, vibes to it. Cause I just it looked had, up like, your video. It's the Xperia 1 2. So it was okay, two eyes. It was the second one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it had like. Um, it had like the Sony Venice LUT built into it. So you could like shoot with that, like extra green tint that they had at the time. <laughs> um, and the interface was, was great. Oh, you've, you've lost a ton of weight, bro. Oh, Holy dude, cow. it's, it's hilarious. Watching that was two videos. years ago and you look like a completely different person, man. Way to Thank go. You. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. How much weight Old, have you lost? Uh, 30 or 40 pounds, I think. Way Let's to go, go. dude. Thank That's you. awesome, yeah. bro. No, it's Same an, here. any anytime I grab like compilations from old years ago, I'm always like, whoa, who's that guy? But <laughs> the dad uh, bot is real. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, being a dad over time, you know, it exercises you more because you yeah. have things climbing on your back while you're trying to work and mow the lawn. Um and but anyway, yeah. So mobile filmmaking, I think it's in a, a great state, but I think we've just like and I think that's what Connor was saying, like computationally it's offset the limitations of the physical, really small sensors and optics. And like, I, I was just watching who is a uh, snazzy labs. Um, uh, Quinn, he just uploaded a video on the, um, red phone that failed. Um, blanking on the name, the red hydrogen. hydrogen. Oh, yeah, that's right. They actually had a cool like, name for it. 
Oh, I was so sad because that was going to kind of do what uh, I believe LG did previously where they were going to have like camera body attachments where you can attach a bigger sensor and stuff. And obviously the sensors have gotten big. I mean, when you hold up like an iPhone 14 lenses to like an iPhone 13, 12, 11, um, and so on back forth, they've, the optics and sensors have gotten bigger. Um, but I, I personally would love to see just some like more, I don't know. It's almost like the company in terms of pro stuff, they just need to, actually do less in their cameras and what i mean by that is there's a fantastic app for android only called uh motion cam which allows you to record raw dng which is straight off the sensor and i grabbed my old pixel 6 pro i did a video on it last year i think and um like it absolutely looks better or the same as most mirrorless cameras. Like if if I sent you uh, YouTube compresses it in the video even, but if I if if you have an Android phone or if I sent you some raw clips from it, you'd be like, "Oh, this is from a mirrorless camera for sure." But uh, obviously it shoots 5 gigs per 20 seconds. So, like it's not practical on a on a phone sense, but yeah, so I mean, listen, when when I went to Israel last year with my family, like I brought my black magic, but I never touched it because it's too hard. You know, your hands are full of kids and stuff. So mobile filmmaking is huge. I think it absolutely killed the point and shoot market. Um, and I'm, sh I think it's, I, I don't think we're one year away from the mirrorless market being, you know, overtaken by phones. But if he's saying that they'll come out with a phone that will at least match that quality, they have to have a ridiculously large sensor because at some point it's just going to be physical limitations. Well, they did the the last year they put out the Xperia 1i, which was a variant of this uh, 1V, uh, the 1V line, which which has a one inch sensor in it. A lot of right. ones in this conversation. Um, and it got it, basically if you just showed footage from that and showed footage from a standard DSLR. Like it's pretty, I mean, it's the same sensor from the X or the, was it the, is it the RX 100 mm, or the, I guess yeah. it's the same sensor as the ZV one essentially. So okay. it's the same sensor as the ZV one point and shoot camera, which is a one inch sensor um, in a phone. Now the, the caveat to that is I think because they're just recycling the sensor and just stuck it in there, um, they couldn't put a lens that was still small enough for like a mobile phone. Mm. So they put a small wide lens on it. That's like a 24 mil equivalent with a one eight aperture, but it's cropping in on the sensor. So it's not actually the so full one. Inch. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like, I think it's like essentially almost half. So they did that the for advertising sensor. sake. Sure. And not they did it for like, the, there is a one inch sensor in there. Yeah. Well, there's two reasons for <laughs> right. it. Yeah. It, the whole the back marketing. of the camera is actually a sensor, but we're only using the top <laughs> corner <Yeah>. of it. <laughs> Sorry. I think it was a smart way to recycle it though, because it has the look of a mirrorless camera because it's the same sensor. It's not these tiny little yeah. size of your fingernail type sensor. So even though it's only using a portion of it, it has the, the image qualities and characteristics better depth of, of, field and, of one. Yeah. So. What, do, what do phones need to do to be on the right level? I mean, like they should probably have a separate SD card slot or something so that you that's can what record. The, um, that's what the one V uh, the new one V is. It has a micro SD card slot. Perfect. That's user removable. Yeah. You just, 
you can just pull it out. You don't need like a special key. It's USB-C powered as well as it has a headphone jack, which also doubles as a mic input jack. So does it not as waterproof with the headphone jack? Because I know that it's was a waterproof. big deal. Yeah, it's still waterproof. Okay. Isn't that why Apple took it out for waterproofing? Or they just took it out because they're Apple? For size. I mean, they they were able... AirPod sales. Right. They were able to remove remove this much from the inside of the phone. So by doing that, they could put more battery and You just had that on hand? That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) He has has all the iPhone parts just laid on his table. He's like, so actually, so this is what we're talking about right here. This is a one-inch Sony sensor. (laughs) I was was waiting for this moment all night. Yeah, that's amazing. uh, Well, in the biggest apple's biggest issue right now in in their phones is they are like uh i'm excited because in final cut pro for ipad there's a pro mode for shooting which people got excited because they're adding some you know white balance and some better exposure controls within i guess this pro app. it's not but just for first- ipad yeah. yeah, it's it's not <laughs> okay. it's not an update to the camera. The grandmas app. are gonna be like, Ooh, <laughs> we can change our white balance. But again, hopefully we'll see that pro mode on the pro iPhones later or something. But like the the biggest issue for trying to get semi professional footage on an iPhone is the um uh what what tone mapping. It that is the single because third party apps can't bypass it. I've talked to everyone at Filmic, at Beast, uh, Beast Cam, like all the pro apps. They're like, it's literally like you, Apple doesn't let you get to that level of the sensor. And so you can set all your perfect parameters. But then if I transition from light to a shadow, it's going to try to raise the shadows real quick and it ruins your shot. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the optics issue with flares. iPhone flares oh for the gosh. past three years has been atrocious. It's gotten so bad, just green circles everywhere. Oh, it's it literally like I'm like this is feeding the whole like UFO market. It's great. Like look at all these random light beams <laughs> so many on, UFOs. on my screen. <laughs> That's right. Um, and so like it's it's sad because like obviously I'm team iphone all the way or something but like but if you like put a gun to my head it was like make a movie with a phone i'm grabbing an android and taking motion cam and a big ssd because with motion cam you can shoot straight to an ssd so i could plug in a one terabyte ssd shoot raw cin- cinema dng 10 bit and have footage so, from a phone that looks better than most so cameras. in theory so i would assume because sony's is an android i would assume it would work on the sony so i wonder yeah. if if all that would work. Um, the cool thing about the Sony Xperia line too, is they have separate apps. They have just a standard yes. photo app, but then they have a video pro app and a cinema pro app. The, um, it's not apparently- that hard Apple. It's not that hard. Just make a separate. I get why they have the regular camera app. Like it absolutely like, you know, it makes sense. It has, they have to have, it. yeah, for yeah. the 90% of people who are just going to use that. And that's fine. But if you have like, and, and some people debate like, oh, should the pro, should they make a pro app that's only for the pro iPhones, which like, I don't, I don't really care, I, but they just need this, to create something. They just need to I make it like, at all. I feel like this user interface of swiping is just such a terrible. I mean, um, it was fine when it first format. came out because there was only two or three options. But now if you want to go to Panorama, you're sitting there swiping for. It's terrible. It's a terrible user interface and you don't want your. You don't want your like stuff in the way of your image too. So um, like for the video, basically when you're in video mode, the record button and all this other stuff is overlaid on top of your video as well. 
it like it needs to be like the photo mode where it's just essentially blacked out and it's getting out of your framing but they're obviously doing that just to give you the maximum amount of screen space as possible so maybe there would be a way to like swipe between it depending on what you want i don't know it's apple's job to figure it out well the thing that i love about the xperia phones that i've seen is that it really is just a little square you know the screen is so long now that you can put a little square four by three square or 16 by nine square and then have a whole window off to the right with all your settings on it, you know? So, and it actually has proper shutter angle and white balance. And it seems like the Xperia doesn't have shutter the tone angle mapping. before the FX3. Yep. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It, I, <laughs> Wait, I'm really? fairly certain the Sony Xperia that I reviewed years ago had shutter angle. That is, I love, <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> so, um, and I don't think they're doing the tone mapping thing. That's the biggest thing, Michael, no. that you've talked about in your videos that um, I've, always had a pain in the neck about with iPhones is that even when you lock everything in Filmic Pro, which is a pro app, you can still see some like fluttering and kind of like just crap it's going muddy on. muddy and yeah, it's because, and that's what I was saying in the beginning of like, they need yeah. to actually stop doing so much. Cause again, for the consumer, it makes sense that noise reduction to the max, uh, cause they don't understand like muddy versus grain and like all that stuff. Yeah. But give us like, a pro app that just turns off tone mapping, turns off like all this computational yeah. photography stuff and just let, let me be an artist, man. Just let me be a filmmaker. <laughs> no, just let the AI do everything. Isn't that what we talked about earlier? We don't need to worry about any of this. This is fine. No, see, cause now you're coming after the filming part and that's what I'm, <laughs> that's right. That's my section. <laughs> Edit button. Great. <laughs> As an editor, gonna... leave that alone. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm going to pick up the, uh, the new Sony one V and just, Kind of mess around with it because I'm really curious yeah. about it. No, it's it's a great experience. I, I very much miss. Um, I, I when I do like phone videos, I literally don't review any part of the phone except for the camera uh, app. And of of the major players, like everyone always compares iPhone, Google, and Samsung. Like I, I really think the the Sony's got it figured out at least in terms of a user interface and user experience. Now all we need is interchangeable lenses. That's what I'm saying. Red hydrogen, failure, man. I mean, how are they even going to do that? I mean, it would have to be lens-specific for the phone, I guess, but even then, it, that'd be kind of weird. The third, I mean, think about third-party manufacturers like B-Script, Moment, yeah. would be... Thr- like, imagine if Apple came out with, like, here's the I-mount. Right. And, like, it's some yeah. proprietary... Like, I don't care. That'd be sweet. It, it wouldn't be one solid piece of glass anymore. That That would be their thing. They'd have to, like, have it removable somehow and it's the tri cameras so that would be kind of weird like how would you get something honestly i would be thrilled if they went back to one camera that's just awesome yeah that's just awesome and then if you want multiple focal lengths you get like add-on lenses i agree with that yeah yeah moms are gonna love that wait i can't zoom with it just uh have the pro have the pro only like make a pro phone make a pro phone it's crazy exactly it's crazy where it's not just the name is the difference i love or the, the cost. Uh, i love the edits that that one guy did it was like every time apple said pro at their announcement it's just pro 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 pro, 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 pro. <laughs> well i feel like we could talk to you for hours michael but you seem to have a crazy day tomorrow moving and it's getting late and i can't even believe that you agreed to do this i didn't realize you had that much crap going on so i apologize for no, inconveniencing for you a little me. bit but thank you for coming on man 
no i appreciate you guys having me and yeah about to go uh pack i'm literally gonna pack everything i'm using to (laughs) (laughs) make this and and yeah it'll be fun well I think, I mean, last time we talked, you were um, just continuing to grow on YouTube, but I mean, a lot has changed in the last couple of years. Um, what are kind of your, like, to close us out, is there anything that you'd like to share that you've learned along this kind of YouTube journey going full-time, you know, kind of like with your wife and stuff over the last couple of years, anything to impart to fellow YouTube creators out there? Yeah, I mean, it's honestly the the best advice I've taken for the past year plus now going into this year um is is just to like focus on creating consistent content but that you like to make and you know don't take on every video just because you you think it'll do well or or whatever but and being able to constantly self-reflect on like okay this video didn't do well but like why um and it, we all like to point fingers too fast and ignore the algorithm, ignore hacks and all that stuff because it it doesn't exist. Or if it does exist, it's going to change in a week when the algorithms change. So like the algorithm is people and just like Mr. Beast and all those big creators, like there's a reason they all say like just figure out people and attention. So that's what I'm trying to do. And I haven't had any insane spikes or takeoffs or anything so i'm not gonna act like i'm some guru who's figured something out but i've had healthy growth and know that you don't need a million subscribers to support your family and Mm -hmm. do what you love i call us the uh, working class youtubers (laughs) yeah (laughs) i love that yeah that's a real what we are you're right. I mean, Colin and Samir talk about middle class, you, uh, middle class creators. There you go. Same it's thing. It's kind of the, it's really the, the kind of core of YouTube, and it's people who have figured out a way to make a full time living with a niche of, you know, you can basically with, you know, thirty thousand subscribers, kind of figure out a way to make a living off of that. It's kind of insane. Yeah, depending on yeah, your niche, absolutely. yeah. Depending on your niche, so. Um, it's exciting times and I'm grateful to be a part of it. And I know Connor is as well. And, and so are you, Michael. So yeah. and we're, ha- we're happy to know you and be friends. Absolutely. So, uh, it was awesome catching up with you guys. I really appreciate it. Of course. Well, that has been another episode of the golden hour podcast. I'm David Altizer. I'm Connor McGaskill. And this is Michael Tobin. Wonderful. <laughs> there you go. It's right on cue. Beautiful. And we'll see you next time. That was a nice fade out. That was good. I like that one. Yeah. (laughs) Finally got it down.